Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, boy, do we have a doozy for you today. Um, we have Andrew Yang shoving his foot directly in his mouth and then apologizing somewhat. I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on it, whether or not I think the apology is acceptable for the thing he originally said. Um, there's obviously a lot going on in Israel-Palestine right now. We're going to break down all of it. Got a lot of, uh, lot of videos on that. So expecting quite a few demonetizations of today's uh, show <laughs> because, you know, that's what happens when, uh, when you talk about very serious issues. They say, oh, we don't want to allow the talk about very serious issues here on YouTube. Um, so we'll just demonetize it and only fund CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and corporate hack outlets. So looking forward to that. Um, we also had the Liz Cheney situation. She was just kicked out of leadership. We're going to talk about that. Um, we got a full show. We got a jam-packed show. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. And um, we're going to do that with Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang absolutely blew up the internet, uh, what is it, two nights ago now? I think it was two nights ago now. One night ago or two nights ago? It's neither here nor there. He tweeted, I'm standing with the people of Israel who are coming under bombardment attacks and condemn the Hamas terrorists. 
The people of New York City will always stand with our brothers and sisters in Israel who face down terrorism and persevere. So, uh, one of the many reasons why this was tone-deaf at best, grossly unethical and immoral at worst, is that this was just a few hours after Israel bombed Gaza, killing at least 20 civilians, including nine kids. So there's a, a very uh, you know, complex situation unfolding right now. I mean, I don't think you could talk about uh, Israel-Palestine without bringing up what is effectively the original sin of illegal occupation and expanding these settlements against international law. But there was also Israel um, basically storming the Al-Aqsa Mosque and, you know, using tear gas and rubber bullets and going after um, Muslims, Palestinians who were worshipping. This is, of course, you know, a holy site in both Islam, the third holiest site in Islam. It's also a holy site in um, Judaism. So there's, there's these planned illegal evictions going on in East Jerusalem, which is another gigantic issue. And in comes Andrew Yang. And he doesn't say anything about the illegal occupation, anything about the illegal evictions that are currently going on in East Jerusalem. doesn't say anything about the Israeli troops storming the mosque when Muslims are peacefully praying. Nothing about any of that. I'll repeat his comment. It was, I'm standing with the people of Israel who are coming under bombardment attacks and condemn the Hamas terrorists. The people of New York City will always stand with our brothers and sisters in Israel who face down terrorism and persevere. Again, this was just a few hours after Israel bombed Gaza, killing 20, including nine kids. So, um, I'm going to get to Andrew Yang's apology. So, he came out and was like, oh, there's a lot of backlash over this. I don't like the backlash. Let me tell you why uh, I'm wrong. So, we'll get to that in a little bit, and I'll tell you whether or not it's sufficient. But first, listen, he has, you got to keep it real, man, he has a history of just absolutely sucking on the issue of Israel-Palestine. So I'm going to show you a little compilation here. It's not really a compilation. It's two separate video clips. One is from when he was running for president, and he was asked a question about the, the aid we give Israel, the subsidy we give Israel, including the military aid. And then the other one is when yours truly and Crystal Ball had Andrew Yang on our podcast, on Crystal, Kyle, and Friends, and we asked him about his insane comment basically comparing BDS to Nazism. Take a look. So, uh, in terms of the money we're giving to an ally like Israel, um, my first instinct would be like, why would we reduce it? Uh, you know, uh, and so, um, so certainly if I communicated something else, like uh, that's not the, um, the idea at all. Um, there are certain relationships we have that, to me, we need to rebuild and strengthen. And I would suggest that our relationship with Israel uh, is one of them. And what about the Arabs? Um, you know, you'd have to look at it in a case-by-case and say, like, what's happening in terms of our, our bilateral relationship with a particular party. Um, but my, my zeal is to try and build strong alliances and partnerships. If someone's been working with us for a long time, they should feel like they're being rewarded for that, frankly. And then if someone has an interest in working with us, we should uh, be open to rewarding that, too. Um, but for each country, you know, like, you'd have to look at what's going on um, at that time and what the lead-in has been. 
So when it comes to land in Israel that's uh, being taken, even though it was granted to certain Palestinian families by the UN, uh, how do you feel about uh, Israel almost to prevent that from happening and uh, constricting uh, political influence by American leaders in Israel? I'm not sure I understand the question, but I'll answer it more generally, um, which is, like, my, my, my stance on this is that it's going to be hard for the United States to constrict, like, uh, an ally or really just about any of its partners uh, in a decision that they feel is central to them, and I don't think that's our priority. It's not that we're somehow giving people aid so that we can then twist their arm about things that, uh, you know, that they find important. But I also want to level with you. I really hated what you wrote about BDS in an op-ed that was generally about your approach to the, to the Jewish community. You said a Yang administration will push back against the BDS movement, which singles out Israel for unfair economic punishment, not only as BDS rooted in anti-Semitic thought and history, hearkening back to fascist boycotts of Jewish businesses. It's also a direct shot at New York City's economy. Do you see criticism of Israel as fundamentally anti-Semitic? I do not see criticism of Israel as fundamentally anti-Semitic. Um, I think BDS is a very different thing than criticism of, uh, let's say, the Netanyahu administration uh, or even of uh, some of Israel's policies. Well, it's an attempt to push back on the occupation of the, the occupied territories, what's seen as an illegal occupation by international law. It's modeled on the successful movement in South Africa. It's nonviolent. What is it about that movement that you single out to say that is anti-Semitic and equivalent, I mean, equated essentially to fascism? Well, BDS specifically, as an organization, as a movement, uh, has refused to disavow extremist elements that have frankly uh, declared uh, that Israel does not even have a right to exist. So that's quite extreme. It's very, very different than what you described earlier, Crystal, in terms of people having a political point of view on Israel or an administration or its policies. So it's not the tactics per se, but some of the people that are involved that they haven't uh, condemned or distanced themselves from? Is that the issue? Well, so BDS as an organization, as a movement, uh, has refused to, uh, to disavow uh, extremist elements that have essentially said Israel does not have a right to exist. So, Andrew, uh, let me ask you this then, because the more I looked into BDS, the more I saw nuances, and perhaps, you know, it, it doesn't make the most sense to take the most extremist elements of, of a group and define the whole movement that way, and, you know, we've learned that lesson in the context of other movements and other groups, but would you concede that there's a difference between, say, boycotts, divestment, and sanctions of all of Israel versus boycott, divestment, and sanctions specifically of the illegally occupied territories? Because, again, as Crystal pointed out, that is the model that effectively worked in apartheid South Africa. Well, I'm not sure I, I understand the distinction you're drawing, Kyle, genuinely. Like, I'm just not sure I understand it. Uh, I can explain it further if you want. It's the areas that it's, all, it's, it's a matter of historical record and facts that are being illegally occupied right now, that the international community all agrees there's no dispute over it. Some elements of the BDS movement only want to boycott, divest, and sanction from those particular areas. So in other words, the other areas of Israel they leave alone, but particularly the occupied territories, they say, let's do boycotts, divestment, and sanctions in order to try to bring about Palestinian human rights. Don't you think there's a difference between boycotting in the areas specifically where they're violating international law and boycotting areas where they're not? Uh, I'm on the record as supporting a two-state solution, which I think is a fairly uh, mainstream perspective. And if I understand your question, uh, Kyle, you know, people who are advocating for a two-state solution, uh, I would agree with that sentiment. 
so here's the other thing about it, Andrew. Why did you want to make this statement? Because I guess what bothered me, I'm just leveling with you on this, like you've taken some criticism in the Orthodox Jewish community because of the position you had and some of the statements you made about circumcision. And then you put out this statement. I mean, I know you make the case BDS is tied to New York City's economy. It's kind of a tenuous connection there. Why was it that you decided to make the statement? Because it felt, I'll just be frank with you, it felt like pandering, which is not something that you normally do because you've taken criticism in this other area and you wanted to go over, you know, over and above to signal your support here. Just talk a little bit about your thinking of why you thought it was important to put this in for this particular op-ed. The economic ties between New York City and Israel are very, very significant and very real. So I wouldn't just uh, put that aside, Crystal, especially if you're in the situation New York's in now. Um, and uh, the, so, sorry, you said something else in, in your, oh, it was, uh, uh, it was around whether this was sort of an over, uh, like a, a response to something that had gone before. Um, it, it's genuinely uh, the case that New York City is a home to more Jews uh, than any place outside of Israel. It's like a very, very serious uh, responsibility to the global Jewish community. Um, and it's something that I would take very seriously as mayor. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's something that I think you do have to think about the context of New York City for the, the global community in that light. And that was, frankly, a bit of a learning for me where I, I frankly did not realize just the level of importance of the mayoralty of New York City to the global community. So final follow-up on this, and I promise we'll let it go, but my question is, if, if Palestinians resist violently, that, they, that's called terrorism. Everybody says terrorism, they denounce it. If they can't resist peacefully through boycotts and sanctions and an economic approach, what approach would you say is okay? Like, how can they resist to try to bring about human rights and end the occupation and, and have a state? How can they resist? that's acceptable if they can't do it peacefully and they can't do it violently. I think that that's an oversimplification, Kyle. I think that there are many peaceful ways to advocate for a two-state solution uh, that don't involve uh, some of the measures that BDS has recommended. Take note, he did not answer that last question. He did not give an example of how it would be actually okay to resist. Because my question was not an oversimplification. It was very straightforward and it's very accurate. Whenever Palestinians resist violently, that's called terrorism. Whenever they resist nonviolently, they're called anti-Semitic and told they can't join those movements, movements like BDS. So what way is acceptable to resist? There is no answer. He doesn't give an answer. He says there are other ways. Okay, well, name one. He doesn't name one. So there's a lot of stuff there that is, let's be totally blunt about this, horrendous. Horrendous. He's really, really, really bad on this issue. Um, I don't know how many of you remember that first clip that you saw there, but that was during the presidential campaign. And he said, why would we reduce the money that we're giving to our ally Israel? Maybe because of the illegal occupation, the expanding settlements, the violations of international law, the apartheid system. Maybe that's why. Maybe we, us giving them and weapons for their military and them than them using those weapons for unethical and immoral purposes, maybe that's a huge problem. By the way, just so everybody understands, we gave them a $38 billion subsidy at the end of Obama's time in office in 2016. $38 billion subsidy. So you and I are paying for when they bomb civilian targets, and we'll get to more on that later. They're bombing many civilian try to tap dance around it and act like it's totally justified somehow. It's completely not that justified. And we wouldn't accept it from anybody else. Um, so now let me give you his non-apology apology. He says, 
I spoke to a group of volunteers for the campaign yesterday, some of whom have been with me for years. Many of them were upset with my recent tweet expressing solidarity with the people of Israel in conjunction with the violence in the region this week that has claimed the lives of innocents and children on both sides. They expressed to me that they follow and support me for a number of reasons. One is that I am a clear-headed person who follows facts. The other is that I am a human being who stands for universal values of fellowship and goodwill. They felt that my tweet was overly simplistic in my treatment of a conflict that has a long and complex history full of tragedies, and they felt it failed to acknowledge the pain and suffering on both sides. They were, of course, correct. I mourn for every Palestinian life taken before its time, as I do for every Israeli. Suffering and pain and violence and death suffered by anyone hurts us all. All people want to be able to live in peace. We all want that for ourselves and our children. Support of a people does not make one blind to the pain and suffering of others. Again, most everyone simply wants to be able to live and pray in peace. And that is what we want as well. I join with millions around the world in praying that the current situation be resolved as quickly as possible, peacefully and with minimal suffering. For those who have spoken to me on this, thank you. Continue to believe in humanity. Now, people who are huge supporters of him might read that and think, oh, great, so this is him apologizing, this is him, you know, correcting his mistake. Let's be serious here, guys. He did not say in this apology, he did not mention Israel's apartheid system. He did not mention the words illegal occupation. He did not say expanding settlements. He did not bring up the evictions in East Jerusalem. He did not say the words ethnic cleansing. There's nothing there about the nature of the conflict and how we got to this place. He didn't even bring up Israel storming the mosque and shooting rubber bullets and tear gas at people who were peacefully praying. He didn't even bring that up. So if you're not going to bring up the evictions, you're not going to bring up international law. You're not going to bring up human rights. You're not going to say the word apartheid. You're not going to say the word illegal occupation. You're not going to say the words ethnic cleansing. All these things are accurate in describing the situation. Then effectively, this is a non-apology apology. You know, you're saying, oh, I care about what's going on on both sides. Okay, that's great. Now, would you like to maybe issue potential solutions and say, hey, Maybe we should stop arming and funding the Israeli government if they're going to target civilian populations as they've done. And if they're going to kill innocent civilians and children as they've done. We give them a lot of money, many weapons, and a lot of support. So the taxpayers in the U.S. are responsible for the actions of that government to a large degree. They're our allies. So we have some degree of control over what they do. There's nothing there that expresses a solution. It's just like, man, this is really bad. And, you know, I'm on both sides and I condemn both sides. And so, like, can't we all just get along? Can't there just be, like, peace and stuff? It's deeply unserious. Listen, the thing he said about why would we cut the subsidy off, terrible. The, the non answer on BDS was terrible. And you guys go back and watch it again. Crystal and I push him very hard a number of times, and he's still not giving a direct answer. And what he said originally was straight up sociopathic. What he's saying now is 
doesn't really make it any better. So now also, let me be clear about something else, man. A lot of people, see this, this is one of the problems when you get to a big enough size, you'll say something and some people will interpret it one way and another group of people will interpret it another way. And it doesn't matter what I mean when I say it, because people could just interpret it wrongly and run with it. And so one of those things is this idea that I endorsed Andrew Yang for mayor. I never endorsed Andrew Yang for mayor. You know what an endorsement for mayor is? An endorsement for mayor is I support Andrew Yang for mayor of New York. That's what an endorsement is. I never said those words. Never said those words. Another endorsement, I'm going to vote for Andrew Yang for mayor of New York. I never said those words. Never said those words. If I wanted to say those words, if I wanted to endorse them, I would have said those words. Now, by the way, I don't even live in New York City. I can't even vote in the mayor's race. So this idea that I, I should make some sort of an endorsement, I barely, made, I barely said anything for the presidential race in terms of what I was going to do. I waited until after, I think, to say what I was going to do. So I don't know why anybody thinks I, I should sort of weigh in on that and comment on that. The thing about Andrew Yang that I've talked about, and I still will talk about because it's accurate, I will give him credit when he takes correct positions. I like his UBI. I like his statement on decriminalizing all drugs. That goes even above and beyond Bernie. I like his statement on decriminalizing sex work. Again, that goes above and beyond Bernie. And I like what he said about circumcision. And mainstream media smears him all the time with terrible arguments, so of course I'm going to call that out. Uh, On this show, what I do is I give credit where it's due, and I critique where it's due. That's all. That's all. So I don't know where anybody got the idea from that I endorsed him. If I was going to endorse him, I would have said, I endorse Andrew Yang. No, I've given him credit when he says correct things that I like, when he advocates policies that I like. And I called him a uniquely honest voice because I thought he was a uniquely honest voice. But when you see how terrible he is on this issue, mm, I overstated it. He's a sometimes honest voice and sometimes terribly unethical and immoral. And that's exactly what's happening here. And so it really is unacceptable. If you're going to talk about this and you don't bring up apartheid, illegal occupation, ethnic cleansing, don't talk about it. And as people have pointed out, he's running for mayor of New York City. He doesn't really have anything to do with foreign policy. Why is he even doing this? I'll tell you why he's doing this. Because when he made the comments, He came out basically against circumcision. He said, I I didn't have my kids circumcised or something like that. Um, You had the ultra-Orthodox community was furious because not only do they believe in circumcision, they do this, and I'm not kidding about this, guys. It sounds fake, but it's real. They do this ceremony where you have a rabbi cut off the tip of the baby dick, that's circumcision, and then suck the tip off. That happens under the name of religious freedom. And so Andrew Yang took the tepid position of saying, I'm not worried to circumcise my kid. I'm not for circumcision. And then, of course, he backpedaled a thousand ways and said, whoa, 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 I'm not going to ban it. If you want to make the decision, you can make the decision. I'm not going to crack down on the ceremonies and whatever. And so ever since he said those words, he's a, he totally lost the Jewish vote in New York City, which is very important in New York City. So ever since then, it's been a pander fest. How do I get him back? How do I get him back? How do I get him back? I know. Let me express unwavering support for Israel, even when they're massacring civilians. And that's effectively what he did. And then now, trying to clean it up, he still doesn't mention anything about the real nature of what's going on there. The original sin is the illegal occupation, period. The expanding settlements, period. 
the violation of international law and human rights, the apartheid system, the ethnic cleansing, the evictions in East Jerusalem, which are happening now. They're happening all the time. They've postponed them because of what's been going on, but they're happening. And I just want to give everybody one more sense of what's going on there because this really puts it in perspective. And then compare this with how Andrew Yang responded. This is from Human Rights Watch. The discriminatory treatment with the exact opposite legal outcomes for claims of pre-1948 title to property based on whether the claimant is a Jewish or Israel, excuse me, Jewish, Israeli, or a Palestinian underscores the reality of apartheid that Palestinians in East Jerusalem face. Nearly all Palestinians who live in East Jerusalem hold a conditional, revocable residency status, while Jewish Israelis in the same area are citizens with secure status. Palestinians live in densely populated enclaves that receive a fraction of the resources given to settlements and effectively cannot obtain building permits while neighboring Israeli settlements built on expropriated Palestinian land, built on expropriated Palestinian land flourish. Israeli officials have intentionally created this discriminatory system under which Jewish Israelis thrive at the expense of Palestinians. The government's plan for the Jerusalem municipality, including both the West and occupied east parts of the city, sets the goal of maintaining a solid Jewish majority in the city and even specifies the demographic ratios it hopes to maintain. This intent to dominate underlies Israel's crimes against humanity of apartheid and persecution, which Human Rights Watch documented in a recent report. If you're not going to talk about that, then don't talk about any of it. He wandered into a minefield, and now he's going to suffer the consequences, and he should. Okay. Next. Let's talk about Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney has been officially kicked out of Republican leadership. She's been kicked out. The reason she was kicked out is because she questioned the dear leader and said that on January 6th what he did was totally inappropriate. He was egging on an insurrection or a coup, and we can't sit idly by as he lies and lies and lies about the election being stolen when it was not stolen. That's why she's being kicked out. So apparently uh, when the votes came in and it was clear that she was being kicked out, she started to talk, and at first there were boos, but then everybody quieted down. And at the end of what she said, there was a standing ovation. This Republican Party doesn't know whether it's coming or going. It doesn't know what it even stands for. It's, as Noam Chomsky says, it's barely a political party at all. Like, it doesn't act like a political party. It really acts like a fringe cult group. It's off the spectrum. That's another thing he says all the time. So anyway, here's Liz Cheney's speech last night. She wanted this to be on the record before she was kicked out. God has blessed America, Mr. Speaker, but our freedom only survives if we protect it. If we honor our oath taken before God in this chamber to support and defend the Constitution if we recognize threats to freedom when they arise. Today, we face a threat America has never seen before. A former president 
who provoked a violent attack on this Capitol in an effort to steal the election, has resumed his aggressive effort to convince Americans that the election was stolen from him. He risks inciting further violence. Millions of Americans have been misled by the former president. They have heard only his words, but not the truth, as he continues to undermine our democratic process, sowing seeds of doubt about whether democracy really works at all. I am a conservative Republican, and the most conservative of conservative principles is reverence for the rule of law. The Electoral College has voted. More than 60 state and federal courts, including multiple judges the former president appointed, have rejected his claims. The Trump Department of Justice investigated the former president's claims of widespread fraud and found no evidence to support them. The election is over. That is the rule of law. That is our constitutional process. Those who refuse to accept the rulings of our courts are at war with the Constitution. Our duty is clear. Every one of us who has sworn the oath must act to prevent the unraveling of our democracy. This is not about policy. This is not about partisanship. This is about our duty as Americans. Remaining silent and ignoring the lie emboldens the liar. I will not participate in that. I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermine our democracy. As the party of Reagan, Republicans have championed democracy, won the Cold War, and defeated the Soviet communists. Today, America is on the cusp of another Cold War, this time with communist China. Attacks against our democratic process and the rule of law empower our adversaries and feed communist propaganda that American democracy is a failure. We must speak the truth. So let's get one thing out of the way. This is easy. This is obvious. This is a layup. Is Liz Cheney correct on this narrow specific issue that the election wasn't stolen, this has gone through various procedures, and the, the conclusion is overwhelming and damning. She's correct about that. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's been over 60 court cases. I believe the Trump side lost every single court case except one, and that one was on like procedural nonsense. The others were more on the meat of the issue as to whether or not the election was stolen. Um, there's even conservative Republican judges that took a look at the evidence and said, this is ridiculous. Of course, this election isn't stolen. We have to side with Biden. We have no choice. Or they threw it out because there's no standing. They're making ridiculous, stretched legal arguments. I mean, honestly, it was absurd. And um, so Trump's either a complete liar or he's a dupe, and he bought into the propaganda of insane conspiracy theorists who twist everything to try to fit the narrative of the dear leader, to try to make him feel like a victim. So, I mean, there's no doubt Liz Cheney is, is correct about this, none whatsoever. There's also no doubt that whether or not you could take legal action against Trump over January 6th, that January 6th 
was terrible. You know, you had the storming of the Capitol from hardcore Trump supporters. And yes, there was violence and you could call it a riot of sorts. And people call it either a coup or an insurrection or an attempted coup or an attempted insurrection. Um, I think the kindest interpretation you can give, and this is the one that I've given many times, is that it was basically like a diet coup or a diet insurrection. And the reason I say diet is because it had zero chance of success because you had no high-ranking officials in the military or whatever who were, like, on their side, who were just waiting to, like, take out the right people. But, yeah, imagine if that mob of people had found Mike Pence when at that moment they were blaming Mike Pence for what happened. Imagine if they found Mitt Romney when they despised Mitt Romney. You know, people who are angry and violent and storming the Capitol like that. I mean, many people have made this point, but I think it's accurate. If that was Black Lives Matter that was storming the Capitol like that, I think there would have been people dead on the ground. Now... I don't think that's the right solution, whether it's Black Lives Matter or the people who did it, the far-right Trump supporters, but it does show you a little bit of a, you know, there's a little bit of kid glove situation going on with them to a certain extent. So, um, so she's right about all that stuff. But, 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 and this stuff is so important, why at the end of that does she start red-baiting? And why at the end of that does she try to, you know, lean into the new Cold War and this time make it with communist China? And the reason why we need to believe these things is because we don't want communist China to take over. So even in the context of saying something true, she has to like be a neocon war hawk. She has to also lie and say stuff like Reagan championed democracy. Reagan didn't champion fucking democracy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The legacy of the United States during the Cold War is us overthrowing democratically elected governments and putting in dictators to serve our corporate interests. It's not championing democracy. That's what we pretend as we do those things. We pretend like overthrowing leftist governments is like overthrowing dictators and putting democracy in place. But we all know it's not democracy because the long list of dictators we supported is a matter of historical fact. Go look at the record. Reagan didn't support democracy. Um, but of course... The, um, the worst part, and she says this a number of times throughout the speech, she basically says, I'm a true conservative, and part of conservatism is reverence for the rule of law. That's all I want. That's all I'm standing up for. That's all I care about. The oldest conservative principle is following rule of law. That's what I'm about. Liz Cheney is a war criminal. She violates the ultimate law, international human rights laws, the United Nations, the Geneva Convention, the Nuremberg Tribunal. She's the kind of person who says, no, we are allowed, the United States is allowed to do whatever we want, wherever we want to in the world. If we want to invade a country and overthrow a government with zero evidence or zero direct threat of attack from them against us, we're allowed to do it because we're the world's sole superpower. We're the world's policemen. So we effectively get to do whatever we want. And what we do is the law. I'm going to redefine the law as whatever I do. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Trump does. Right? That's what Trump does. 
Yeah, oh, the law is what I say it is, and I say the election was stolen, so anything that's done to justify me staying in power is okay. That is the law. That's what Trump does. Bends the law, twists the law to suit his perspective and his views and his narrative. Liz Cheney does that same shit, but she does it when it comes to foreign policy. Well, so does Trump when it comes to foreign policy, too, by the way. There's plenty of things he did that were in violation of international law, um, blockading medicine from going in to Iran, even though the International Criminal Court said, you have to let the medicine in. He said, no, I don't. But at continuing the wars, Trump did do that. And again, that's in violation of international law. But Liz Cheney is like the number one neocon warmonger imperialist in Congress. And so the whole thing about like, we believe in law and order, you believe in violating the ultimate law and order. I mean, these are defenders of torture. It's not an open question as to whether or not torture is illegal or illegal. Of course it's illegal. It's illegal under international law. It's illegal under U.S. law. But she supported torture. Her dad is like the number one war criminal on the planet. I mean, these are people who lied us into war. And then tortured to cover it up. So I don't want to hear anything about rule of law from Liz Cheney. She doesn't believe in rule of law. She believes in it when it's convenient to her. And so if any other, stop and think about this. If any other country acted internationally like the U.S. does, she would immediately call for that country to be overthrown. Excuse me. She would immediately call for that country to be overthrown. Um, and she would say the country is ripe for regime change. But when we do it, it's okay and you can shut up. Because, again, she doesn't believe in rule of law. Anybody who truly believes in rule of law and law and order, anybody, would be deeply against torture, deeply against illegal, unconstitutional NSA spying, which is another thing that she supports, deeply against all of our wars of aggression, our endless wars of aggression. She supports all those things. So I don't want to hear it. And final thing is this. She voted with Trump over 90% of the time. Basically, one of her only disagreements with Trump is this. Hey, the election wasn't stolen. That, that's one of her only disagreements with Trump. The person who's supposed to replace Liz Cheney in this leadership position voted with Trump like 77% of the time or something like that. So Liz Cheney is actually more of a Trumpist than the person who's supposed to replace Liz Cheney. So, in other words, Democrats should not all of a sudden, you know, drool all over themselves and think that Liz Cheney is awesome because of this. Because you're silly if that's the case. You're silly. You really, honestly, you shouldn't support either one. Don't support Trump. Don't support Liz Cheney. Don't support Stefanik or whatever her name is, the one who's supposed to replace Liz Cheney. Um, they're all terrible in slightly different ways, and it's okay to say that. Okay. All right, next. All right, here we go. We're going to go back, ladies and gentlemen, to... um, We are going to go back to Israel-Palestine because there's still a lot more to go on that. There's still a lot more to do, a lot more to talk about. Here we go. 
So, of course, there's um, violence happening in the Middle East right now. There's a horrendous situation. Um, Israel went into the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. Everybody knows I struggle with all sorts of uh, pronunciation issues. Um, They stormed the mosque, and they were using tear gas and rubber bullets and attacking uh, peaceful worshipers. You also have the... um, Planned evictions happening in East Jerusalem. Now, they were just postponed because of the violence that was going on, but um, these are evictions that are completely illegal under international law. Um, You have every human rights group, including the biggest human rights group in Israel, has their hair on fire, and they're saying this needs to stop. Israel is an apartheid state. They're doing an illegal occupation. They're expanding settlements. They're doing an ethnic cleansing Um, it's a disastrous situation. It really is. And you have this new round of of crackdowns, and Israel was doing quite a bit of bombing in Gaza. And at the time of this question that you're about to see asked to the U.S. State Department, you had, I believe the number was 20 Palestinians killed, including nine children. Now, the Israeli side tries to dispute these things. i got to be honest with you guys. I don't put any stock in their word because they said all this stuff in 2014 during the last time they went on a bomb fest. They, they were disputing all these numbers and saying, no, 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 that's not true. We're only hitting Hamas. So don't say we're hitting the civilians. We're only hitting the bad guys. We're only targeting the bad guys and all that stuff. Well, later a U.N. report came out that found 80% of the people who died Uh, In 2014, during Operation Protective Edge, 80% of them were civilians on the Palestinian side. 80% of them. So i got to be honest, I just simply don't believe what the Israeli government says about any of this shit. So when they contend that and say, no, 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 it's uh, it's not 20 people and 9 kids dying, and some of the the people who died, it's because Hamas rockets misfired and went back and killed their own people. I, I I don't believe a word they fucking say. But anyway, I digress. That's neither here nor there. Because what you're about to see here is the U.S. State Department asked a very, very straightforward question. The question is basically, do you condemn the killing of kids? Can't answer it. We're speaking of the principle of self-defense. Uh, we I'm asking if you think that the principle of self-defense applies to the retaliatory airstrikes that they're conducting in the response. Matt, this is a very fluid situation. I, w- I would hesitate to... Uh, comment on operations beyond, you know, the rocket fire that uh, is clearly targeting innocent civilians uh, in Israel. So I would hesitate to speak to specific operations um, that have just occurred, but the broader principle of self-defense is something um, we uh, uh, we stand by uh, on behalf of Israel. Well, and the the Israeli military response to the rockets coming in, is, is the, uh, the military response to the rockets coming in is covered by this broader rubric of self-defense, right? Uh, self- Self-defense often does uh, uh, authorize the use of force. I won't ask about Jerusalem, but let's talk about what you said about the principle of self-defense. Does that in any way apply to the Palestinians? Do they have a right to self-defense? Do Palestinians have a right to self-defense? Broadly speaking, Saeed, uh, we believe in the concept of self-defense. We believe it applies 
uh, to any state. I don't think that. Uh, I, 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 I certainly wouldn't want uh, my words to be construed as. I understand. I want to go into. I don't want to help on this either. But you know, the Israelis killed 15 people just now. You know, including maybe five or six children. Do you condemn that? Do you condemn the killing of children? Said. Uh, no, well, I'm asking. Do you condemn the killing of Palestinian children? Obviously, uh, and these reports are just emerging, uh, and I understand, I was just speaking to the team, I understand we don't have independent confirmation of facts on the ground yet, so I'm very hesitant uh, to get into reports that are just emerging. Uh, obviously, the deaths of civilians, uh, be they Israeli or Palestinians, are something we would take very seriously. Okay. And you're going to know as soon as I read what your answer was that there's a big problem with it. You said, well, not a problem, it just doesn't answer the question. We believe that it, meaning the right to self-defense, applies to any state. Well, you see the problem, right? Yes? Do you, want to, do you regard Palestine as a state? I wasn't referring to... Do you think in the context of the ICC and the UN? I, so are you I, saying that you do not... If it applies to any state, are you saying that Palestinians don't have a right to self-defense? I was making a broader point not attached to uh, Israel or Palestinians in that case. So, if they do have a right to self-defense. Matt, I'm not in a position to, to debate the legalities uh, uh, right. from up here. What, uh, our message is one of de-escalation. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm not in a position to debate legalities. You're the U.S. State Department. You're not in a position to talk about that. Who the hell is? In fact, I take that back. You know who is in a position to talk about that? The U.N., International Human Rights Groups. And all of them are unanimous on this. And this weasley little prick who can't stop sweating uh, is, it's amateur hour over there at the U.S. State Department because he's not even a half-decent bullshitter. Okay, so, I mean... It's amazing that the simplest questions in the world trip up the U.S. State Department because that guy knows what his job is. His job is to go out there and play defense for anything Israel does. No matter how terrible it is, no matter how immoral or unethical, go play defense because they're our ally. And so he goes out there and he's sweating and he, he can't get a, a complete sentence out and he's too verbose because he knows it's bullshit. But he's asked a simple question. Does the principle of self-defense apply to Palestinians? His response is, <laughs> See, what happened was, the sun was in my eyes, and me and Craig and them was down by the Safeway, and we saw Jared, and when we looked at Jared, him and Greg were over there by Lance, and I was thinking that, new phone, who this? He can't give a straight answer. By the way, here's how you answer that if you're not a Weasley little prick. Uh, do Palestinians have the right to self-defense? Yes. That's how you answer that. By the way, if somebody asks me, does Israel have the right to self-defense? I say, yeah. Anybody has a right to self-defense. If somebody else is the aggressor and they are going to hurt you or kill you, you have a right to self-defense, period. This isn't hard. This isn't hard. But it is hard for them because, again, they have the position of, it's an axiomatic position in their mind, no matter what, Israel is correct. And so they have to try to weasel their way out of it and bullshit and tap dance, and it clearly doesn't work. Then I love, listen, this is very rare, but these reporters did a phenomenal job. That last guy said, your comment 
the U.S. State Department said, we believe the right of self-defense applies to any state. And that guy spotted the bullshit there because they don't consider Palestine a state. So if you say the right of self-defense applies to any state, you're saying Palestinians actually don't have a right to self-defense because they're not a state, but Israel does have a right to self-defense because they're a state. See, this is part of the gross carve-out that we make where somehow state violence is justified if that violence is us or one of our allies. In fact, state violence doesn't even count as violence. So you can't, for example, use the word terrorism. That's a big argument that people have where they say, hey, if it's the state officially carrying out the business of the state, then it's it's just magically not in the category of violence, even if it is violence. And it's magically not in the category of terrorism, even if it is terrorism. Even if you're bombing civilian targets on purpose and killing civilians, if it's a state doing it and it's one of our allies, hey, it's collateral damage. It wasn't a terror attack with innocent civilian victims. And then, of course, the big question, I love how he asked this, too, so straightforward. Do you condemn the killing of children? And then he followed up, do you condemn the killing of Palestinian children? And the guy was up there, like, trying to do the fucking Pythagorean theorem, trying to crack some nuclear code or some shit. So, so... It's not a hard question. Do you condemn the killing of Palestinian children? Can't do it. Can't do it. So just get this idea out of your mind that the U.S. is some sort of, you know, objective moral arbiter. We're not even close to a moral arbiter. Not even close. So this is the truth that they can't get around, okay? This is the truth that they can't get around. Israel is illegally occupying Palestinian land. They're illegally occupying Palestinian land. They are expanding those illegal settlements. There are planned evictions happening that are against international law. There is an apartheid state. There is ethnic cleansing. These are the facts. These are the facts. They cannot get around those facts. So when you're asked, hey, do the Palestinians have a right to self-defense? The reason they can't say yes is because then the follow-up question is this. Isn't it self-defense if somebody's coming to illegally kick you out of your own house? I'll ask you that question. Somebody shows up at your door. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's an individual. I don't care if it's a government. If they illegally are kicking you out of your house, and the, the governmental bodies, the ultimate governmental bodies, the UN, if they say, no, 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 this is definitely illegal, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, that's what it is, this is against international law, this is against the Geneva Convention, this is against the Nuremberg Tribunal, this is against every international criminal court, every, every law body at, at the, you know, the highest level you can imagine, it's against the law. So somebody comes and tries to kick you out of your house, and you know it's illegal. Don't you have a right to self-defense? It's your property. Somebody's coming on your property trying to kick you off of your own property, and they have no right to do it. Don't you have a right to self-defense? I'm asking. The answer is absolutely you do. 100% you do. It's not even close. 
So that's why they can't, that's why they can't say, yes, Palestinians have a right to self-defense, because they know that's the follow-up question. Okay, well, if you have a right to self-defense, somebody comes to illegally kick you out of your own house, don't you have a right to use violence to protect yourself? Don't you? That's why they can't answer it. That's why they can't answer it. And, of course, the United States does everything to uh, not discuss any of the things Israel did that were already grossly immoral, unethical, and illegal, like uh, storming the mosque and going after peaceful, peaceful worshipers twice, two separate occasions. That happened. Like the bombing of civilian targets in Gaza, which has already happened, killing children already. So um, that's where we are. Your beacon of hope and freedom and democracy and human rights can't even make basic points in favor of freedom and democracy and human rights because it would offend our dear ally Israel who wants to be able to get away with the most grossly immoral and unethical things. Go to Mehdi Hazan. Mehdi Hassan had on a representative from the Israeli government to talk about what's currently going on um, in Israel and Palestine. Take a look. He does a pretty decent job calling out his nonsense. Even 500 Palestinian children were killed in the 2014 Gaza war, according to both the UN and human rights groups. How worried should we be tonight that Israel is about to launch another full-scale assault, maybe an invasion of Gaza? Thank you, Manny, for inviting me. I think the question you're asking is something to refer to Hamas spokespeople, because eventually the reality on the ground is that quiet will be responded by quiet. If Hamas is going to continue threatening Israeli civilians for firing rockets indiscriminately towards Israeli towns, uh, then we're going to be forced to respond and respond forcefully. And by the way, this is not just Israel. Any country in the world would have done the same if their cities were attacked under constant attacks uh, by rockets, by terrorist organizations. I mean, uh, I mean, any country in the world, most countries in the world are not in charge of a decades-long military occupation. But you mentioned Hamas rocket strikes. I think we can both agree that Hamas firing rockets at civilian buildings is wrong. Can we both agree on that? I think we can agree on that, right? That's common ground for us. Hamas firing rockets at civilian buildings. You had the wrong. There is fully agreement with us on that. Agreed. You got me on, we're 100%, we agree. And yet today you had a 13-story residential apartment building in Gaza targeted by the Israeli Air Force destroyed. How is that not anything other than a war crime, a deliberate attack on a civilian target? You know, I think it's uh, actually very disfortunate that people are trying to equate the IDF response to Hamas as a terrorist organization. Uh, Israel acts in accordance with international law. Uh, we target only Hamas targets, and every target that we're firing at, uh, is being chosen very carefully. We do that with accordance of international law in order to minimize the civilian casualties and collateral damage. And you know what? We're the only country and the only organization, the only one in the Middle East that actually care about international law. Hamas doesn't care. Palestinian Islamic Jihad doesn't care. And every loss of life is unfortunate. 
We don't have time to get into an argument about international law. Suffice to say that most human rights groups criticize Israel for violating human rights law, and they criticize Hamas. But you leveled an apartment building. I think you gave them a one-hour warning to get out of the building. Do you think that's in line with humanitarian law to bomb a civilian apartment building in Gaza? You know, Hamas is using the Palestinians in Gaza as human shields. They're firing rockets at Israel from within centers of civilian populations. You need to understand, they say this exact same thing every time there's a conflict. And then after the fact, when people look at the casualties, we get the reality. So the last time they did this in 2014, and by the way, a top Israeli official once called this cutting the grass, making the Palestinians fall in line. Um, in 2014 Operation Protective Edge, 80% of Palestinians killed by Israeli strikes are civilians, UN report says. So this is what happens. Every time uh, Israel attacks a number of civilian targets in Gaza, and they go, whoa, 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 what? It's totally within international law, bro, because this is... Hamas is using that to store weapons, and they're also using human shields. Now, by the way, I just want you to think about this in any other context. If you heard there was some sort of terrorist gang that had taken over your kid's school, and the police decided, we're just going to bomb the whole school, would you be like, okay, I mean, what are are they going to do? The terrorist group that has kids, my kid, as their human shield. So they had to do what they had to do. They had to drop the bombs. You would never accept that. You'd say, what, are you fucking crazy? You have to care about the civilians first and foremost. That's what you have to do. But for some reason, Israel makes this argument like it's convincing. Like, oh, sure, they may have been using human civilians anyway because we have to get the bad guys. What? So the argument is, what are we supposed to do? We have to bomb. They gave us no choice. But you do have a choice. You decided to bomb and also kill civilians. That's what you did. Then they bullshit, oh, yeah, well, we dropped pamphlets that said, you know, hey, we're going to bomb this in a little bit, and we gave people an hour to get out, so what more do you want from us? I want you to not violate international law. And by the way, it is untrue that this doesn't violate international law. Of course it violates international law. You're not allowed to target civilian infrastructure, period. And they always do. And then we always come back after and find out, oh, my God, 80% of the – Palestinians killed were civilians. What are you doing? They don't care about the Palestinian civilian casualties. They don't care. And then um, I want to give you some more numbers the last time this happened. So you would think, the way everybody talks about this, you would think like, oh my God, there's extreme carnage, and it's either equal carnage between the Palestinians and Israelis, or the Israelis are the ones getting slaughtered, and so Israel has to respond like this. Last time this happened in 2014, More than 2,100 Palestinians were killed in the Gaza Strip. 2,100 Palestinians, 80% of them civilians, 500 of them children. How many died on the Israeli side? 66 soldiers and 7 civilians. You have one military that is backed by the most powerful military in human history that technologically way outpaces the other side. This isn't a war. It's a slaughter. That's what it is. And you cannot target civilian infrastructure on purpose. You just can't. 
I don't want to hear it. If you're bombing a power plant, if you're bombing a school, if you're bombing an apartment building, I don't want to hear it. You can't do it, and there is no bullshit rationalization after the fact. Oh, we have to do it. Even if Hamas firing rockets from those places, which, by the way, I don't believe them that that's what's happening, those rockets are, they land in the middle of a fucking cow field. That's what happens, which is why the civilian casualties on the Israeli side are so low. And it's good that those civilian casualties are low. I actually care about all civilians. But don't bullshit us. Oh, my God, a Hamas rocket landed in an open field. Now let's go level an apartment building. Now let's go kill 500 more children and more civilians and level civilian infrastructure. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. And if I was president, I would immediately cut off all subsidies to Israel and immediately cut off all arms to Israel. We gave them, in 2016, we gave them $38 billion. We give them so much funding and military support. And then we sit back as they continue wantonly violating international law. It's an apartheid state. They're doing an illegal occupation. They are expanding settlements as we speak, trying to do evictions from East Jerusalem as we speak, kicking Palestinians out of their own homes. And they're doing an ethnic cleansing. That's what it is. And we still have people bullshitting us right to our face going on TV. Credit to Mehdi Hassan for calling them out. But listen, the bullshit is so thick in real time that people do walk away feeling like, well, what are you going to do? It's a conflict and both sides have problems and, and all that. Well, guess what? The younger generation is not buying it. The younger generation is not buying it. They see through this Hasbara from a mile away. And um, now people are sympathetic to the plight of the Palestinians because it's pretty obvious the power imbalance and what's going on and who's violating international law. And I said it before, I'll say it again. The fact of the matter is this. People always say Israel has a right to self-defense. Israel has a right to self-defense. Israel has a right to self-defense. Well, flip that question back on these people. Do Palestinians have a right to self-defense? Now, they probably won't answer that, or they'll give the wrong answer. But the right answer is, of course, yes, they do have a right to self-defense. And the fact of the matter is this. If somebody comes into your home illegally and says, I'm taking everything you have, do you have a right to self-defense in that moment? I think you do. I think you do. And any reasonable person would say yes to that. And so that's the truth they can't bullshit their way out of. You can't do an illegal occupation and expand the settlements and do planned evictions against international law and ethnic cleansing and then, you know, feign outrage when there's some pushback. Can't do it. Can't do it. Cannot do it. Killing civilians is wrong. Full full stop. That includes when Israel does it. And like we just demonstrated, last time it was 80% civilian casualties, and it will be about the same this time. But they're going to bullshit you to your face as the children killed ticks up, and the civilians killed tick up. And you're watching it happen right now. Okay. All right, let me do one more, and then I'll take a break. Caitlyn Jenner got herself a CNN interview since she's running for governor of California. 
and she gave a terrible answer on why she should be governor. What kind of training do you have to be governor of California? I have been in the entrepreneurial world. You know, people think of you been in show business. They think of you as a reality star. Certainly I've done that, but entertainment is a business, and you have to run that business. Uh, but I've also done other things. Uh, you know, we sold a billion dollars worth of exercise equipment uh, on television. Uh, I've had aviation companies. I, I've just always been involved being an entrepreneur um, and tried to inspire my children to do the same thing, and they've done very well in that department. And um, all of those life experiences about, and probably the most important thing is being a leader. This state, this is the fifth largest economy mm -hmm. in the world. Yes. you feel qualified to take that on? Um, yes, because I'm going to surround myself with some really great people. I had some meetings this week on budget with budget people who I were just can so I, impressed. Can you share who you met with? Uh, no, we'll just leave it as budget people, and we'll leave it there. I don't want to expose anybody. I've had meetings on regulations um, uh, with uh, the Hoover Institution, and uh, this one guy, Lee, was just like the best. So smart, been working on regulations in this state for the last 10 years, had solutions. I said, oh, my God, you're like my new best friend, okay? The Hoover Institution, it's packed full of right-wing ideologues. And you know just as well as I do, they have the same answer to everything. Cut taxes for the rich and deregulate. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is cut taxes for the rich and deregulate. And so she met with somebody from the Hoover Institution who said, you should probably cut taxes for the rich and deregulate. And she's like, brilliant. You're like my new best friend. By the way, Herbert Hoover, and don't take my word for this. Look it up on your own. Herbert Hoover is widely understood to be one of the worst presidents in U.S. history. That's not exaggeration. Now, you can make, you know, I actually think it's a fair counterpoint to say any, anybody who owns slaves is by definition worse. Fair enough. <laughs> but the point is, there's been, you know, a lot of research on this, and there's, you know, many academics have discussed this for a long time, and basically everybody agrees Hoover was a mess. And so she's like, let's take advice from the political philosophy of one of the least successful presidents ever. Okay, so um, I want to go through all this here. Now, I have, to, I have to be honest. I actually don't even like the question from the CNN host. I really do think that's an elitist question. The question is, what kind of training do you have on why you should be governor? Listen, uh, yes, I hate Caitlyn Jenner. You hate Caitlyn Jenner. We all hate Caitlyn Jenner. But that's an elitist question. What kind of training do you have on why you should be governor? <laughs> training? What are you talking about? This is a democracy. So the idea is, hey, tell people what your vision is, and then they'll either vote for you or not vote for you. But you're not, you don't need to have credentials to run for public office. You could just run for public office and tell everybody what your ideas are, and if they like it, they'll vote you in. So I really hate that question. And it does go to show you, I really think corporate media are like the worst at countering the kinds of people who need to be countered was running for president, mainstream media smeared him relentlessly. They didn't go after him in an intelligent way, and so he got more popular. That's what happened. 
Now, if you had mainstream media that was fair-minded and intelligent, they would have been able to counter Trump, and it wouldn't have helped him. But when the arguments are ridiculous, you help them. Okay? So I'd hate that question. But she asked the question, and also keep it real, the answer is terrible. She says, I'm in entertainment. I sold exercise equipment. I had aviation companies. And most importantly, I'm a leader. Leader. I just, I want to get this, beat this notion out of everybody's head that because somebody has business experience, that applying that business experience to elected office is a good idea. No, it's not. When you run a business, the idea when you run a business is I need to maximize profits. That's what you need to do. I need to maximize profits. That is so different than prioritizing government funds. Because if you are a representative of the American people, you need to legislate their interests, whether it's people having health care, people having higher wages, fixing the infrastructure, whatever it may be. That's, in some ways, that's fundamentally the opposite of if you're a business leader. Because, again, the thing you are most beholden to is your shareholders and the bottom line. And so it's just not the same thing. In fact, with business, oftentimes you're trying to cut costs. You know, that's not what you should be thinking about, first and foremost, when it comes to government. So... And also, when you think of the nature of businesses, especially in our capitalist economy, they're little tyrannies. Now, I'm not saying that with a value judgment on the word tyranny. I'm using it as a descriptor. They're little tyrannies. So you have somebody at the top who is in control of everything, and they get to tell everybody below them what they have to do. If you run a government like that, that's sort of like a dictatorship. So it, it's, just, it's fundamentally different as the point, but she goes directly to that, which is silly. But, you know, listen, in many ways, we knew this back when, you know, she was still on keeping up with the Kardashians. Apparently, she's a huge Fox News watcher. And you can see that. You can see that her whole ideology is like, taxes bad, deregulation good, um, and let's trigger the libs. Like, that's a lot of what this is going to come down to. And she should be very happy that Tomato Lorenzo has officially endorsed her. Tomato Lorenzo is Tommy Lauren, for those of you who don't know. Um, so congrats on getting Tomasulo Lozenger to vote for you (laughs) or to support you. They're too perfect for each other, those two. I would love it if, uh, Caitlyn Jenner asks Tomato Lorenzo to be on her, um, on her campaign. That'd be the coolest thing ever. I mean, we've already gone full clown show with Trump winning the presidency. So why stop there? I mean, we've had Arnold Schwarzenegger as California governor, Trump as president. Why not Caitlyn Jenner as governor of California? Why not? With Tomato Lorenzo really calling the shots. So I don't know if we can get the wheels back on this thing, ladies and gentlemen. It does not look good. All right, let me take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. Stay right there, everybody.
We are back, beach. All right, let's keep going. Still got a lot of stuff to get to today. Very busy show. Very busy show with a lot of demonetizations on the horizon. Because whatever Israel-Palestine... I feel like foreign policy in general really does that to us. Whenever there's a lot of foreign policy stories... And I like to cover foreign policy a lot, so I sort of do it to myself in a way, too. But, yeah, foreign policy really fucks us. Um, YouTube is not a fan of us talking about anything, but definitely foreign policy is, like, leading the list of shit that uh, they don't want independent media to talk about. That's for damn sure. Okay, so... Where are we going, baby? Where are we going? I don't know. Where are we going? What the fuck? Okay. Um, oh, I like this story. The cheating horse story. Pull the names up because I don't know enough about this. This story is hilarious to me. So... There's a horse named Medina Spirit, Medina Spirit, Medina Spirit, however you say it. I don't know. I don't really care. Um, This horse won the Kentucky Derby. And um, the owner is a guy by the name of Bob Baffert, which is the perfect name for somebody who owns horses that win amazing races. Um, So after this horse won the Kentucky Derby, they do drug testing on the horses and the horse tested hot. In other words, the horse was taking performance-enhancing drugs. Now, um, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. I want to tell you guys, you know, the things that I know about this, because somebody who I used to be fairly close to um, was huge into this. And so I have at least more of an understanding than your average person as to what goes on with... um, horse racing. So anyway, this guy goes on Fox News after his horse tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs, and his reaction is hilarious. Will you run uh, Medina Spirit this weekend at Preakness? I know you've said that, but um, they're going to have a meeting tomorrow um, down there at that race. No, actually, they're uh, they're on their way right now. They're in a they're in a band. They're they should arrive this afternoon, and we're definitely planning on running them. I'm actually, I'm going to run two horses. Okay, Bob, here's my understanding. They were going to have the draw today for the Preakness, and they kicked it back until tomorrow. Um, you have another review. Those results may not be available for several weeks. So the Preakness goes down this weekend. The Belmont is here in New York four weeks from now. I, I don't know if we have final results even before the Belmont is done, but your plan is to race in the Preakness. Is there a chance they may punt? and not allow Medina Spirit to run this weekend? Well, I haven't heard anything uh, officially. They haven't told me anything. Uh, I know when Churchill Downs came out with that statement, that was pretty harsh. And um, I think they had to just, you know, it's, you know, with all the noise going out, out, you know, we live in a different world now. This this America is different. And uh, it was like a cancel culture kind of a, a thing, so they're reviewing it. I haven't been told anything. I'm, uh, we're prepared to run. Homeboy is blaming cancel culture because he doped up his horse. Come on, son. Come on, son. 
Now, I will say this. There was a much better defense that he could have and should have used. Um, that defense is honestly the same thing that Lance Armstrong should have said when it was revealed that he was taking all these different performance-enhancing drugs. They are literally all doing it. Literally. So, you know, listen, there's actually two people I know who are, you know, close to the horse racing industry. Uh, one of them is the former business manager at the car dealership where I used to work. And um, that guy bet horses his whole life. He was obsessed with it. He loves it. And um, so he showed me how, you know, you read the thing in the paper as to what the stats are on the horses when you make your picks. It's actually pretty interesting. I'm not going to lie. I haven't done it since back then, but it was, it was pretty interesting. Anyway, um, what he tells me is they're all on the juice. The question is you actually have to determine, as somebody who's betting the horses, which horse has the best juice. So there's actually, like, everybody knows all the horses are drugged. The question is, which one is getting the best stuff? And beyond that, your in-law's friend also, I think he works at one of these places where there's the horse races. And he says the same thing. He's like, yeah, they're all on the juice. You know, and that guy might be close enough to them to know which ones are on the good stuff. And so just to put this more in perspective for you, there was something in, I think this was the Washington Post or the New York Times. Um, apparently, trainers experiment with anything that could give their horses an edge. That includes chemicals that bulk up pigs and cattle before slaughter, cobra venom, Viagra, blood doping agents, stimulants, and cancer drugs. And so the issue is they're doing the testing now, the horses or whatever, the issue is it's difficult for the people who are doing the testing to keep up with the new and unique ways that they dope the horses. So, but instead of this guy coming out there and being honest and being like, yeah, my horse is on the sauce, so are all the others. So what do you want to do? Take it from this horse, take the, the championship from this horse and give it to the one who came in second, who's also on some shit? Or do you want to give it to the one that came in third, who's also also on some shit? That's the honest reaction. Hey, you want to clean up the industry? Clean up the industry. But it's got to be the same across the board. Like, everybody's got to be not on some shit, or if it, they are on some shit, all on the same shit. So, um, instead, what did he do? Cancel culture claims another victim. Mm. Come on, son. This shit has nothing to do with cancel culture. Like, that's just become the catch-all for anybody who wants to get out of some shit. You know? Oh, I guess I'm being canceled. I cannot wait. Israel's going to say that soon. Israel's going to say that about bombing, you know, Palestinian apartment buildings. You're going to be like, oh, I guess you want to cancel us for committing war crimes. Ridiculous. You got to relax, dog. You got to reel it in. This stuff is so tired. This stuff is so sad and stale. It's like you're not, it's not working anymore. It's not working. Maybe in like 2015, when you brought up cancel culture all the time, it landed. Now people start to roll their eyes, and they should roll their eyes, and they should. And, you know, this has always been the problem with that narrative anyway. Like, I remember when Ann Coulter complained, like, you can't say things that are factually wrong, and then when people are like, hey, that's incorrect, you go, oh, I guess I'm being canceled. No, you said something incorrect, and you're being corrected. Not everything is cancel culture. Anyway, um, God, it's so stupid. And somebody else made a great point. They were like, if you want to convince people that you're innocent, don't wear sunglasses inside while on TV, which is what Bob Baffert is doing. 
Also, don't name yourself Bob Baffert. Not that he named himself. His parents obviously named him. But you might want to change your name away from the name that, like, screams, I'm sleazy as hell. So, anyway, uh, there you have it. I don't know what's going to happen with this horse, but this shit was not cancel culture. Not at all. Okay. Next. Jeff Bezos is in the news. I mean, he's in the news all the time. And I don't know how you pronounce that, by the way. Bezos, Bezos, it doesn't really matter. The guy who's beyond rich, he's obnoxiously rich. Homeboy has like $200 billion. You can't even spend $1 billion in a lifetime. He's got $200 billion. So anyway, um, this is... 